The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. Is we are starting a series on what's known as the Brahma Viharas, and uh, the Brahma Viharas are a prominent part of the Buddha's teachings. Um, they're the heart qualities. And uh, they are, just to name four of them, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, four qualities. And in the scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, they're called Brahma-Viharas, which literally is translated as Brahma is a high god, was a high god, and Vihara means an abode, so it's an abode of a high god or a divine or high abiding, a heavenly abiding, however you wish to translate, it's a little vague. And people translate in a lot of other ways too. I don't know, it's been called um, the four friends, uh, the uh, supreme qualities, are uh, the heart qualities. So we who have been doing this for a while, and maybe you as well know it as Brahma Viharas, but call it whatever comes naturally to you. Heart qualities can be the easiest thing maybe uh, for you to call it, but whatever, whatever is easiest for you. What we plan to do here is that our teaching team is going to present 10 different sessions on the Brahma Viharas, uh, heart qualities. Tonight is the overview. Uh, that I'm presenting. And then what we'll do is we're going to have two sessions on Tuesday nights, two sessions on each quality. The first of each session will be talking about that quality, exploring it. And the aim of our exploration is to inspire you to practice with that quality. And the second uh, session uh, of each quality will be offering actual practices that we hope that you will actively engage with. And then our final, our 10th session, which is going to come down the line, is going to be a wrap-up. Um, all of this is explained, because in the midst of the series, we're going to have some guest speakers, we're going to have some nice Tuesday nights that are going to deal with other things. So the uh, calendar of the Brahma Baharas are presented, uh, there's a, a flyer on the table with the overview, and also it's available online. Uh, so all you have to do is click the link and you'll see that uh, the Brahmaviharas, and you click again and then you get the flyer that gives the overview. So if you want a paper copy, there are a few of them there, and there, or you can go right online and take a look. Um, so what I'm doing tonight is, first of all, giving an introduction to each of the heart qualities, a brief introduction, because in fact, you're gonna be hearing a lot about each one individually. And maybe most of all, I think most of all, what I'm gonna be doing is discussing, exploring, why is it, why it's important to practice the Bahars. That's worse, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go here. Okay, hope that's going to work. So again, again, I'm going to mainly talk about tonight 
why it's important. Why, why should we even practice with them? And I'll say that, explain how they enlarge and sweeten our life, the Brahma-viharas. So first of all, all the Brahma-viharas are natural qualities that we as human beings experience. And the four of them, loving kindness, is a tender regard for all beings. That's what loving kindness means. For the true happiness of all beings. I'm not gonna go into great detail because that's gonna be presented each, each night. That's loving kindness. Compassion. Compassion is the quality that evolves that naturally when loving kindness in, uh, encounters suffering, whether it's suffering another person, any other being suffering, or yourself. Compassion. The third one is sympathetic joy. And it is the quality of loving kindness when it meets happiness in another person. And the last quality is equanimity. The last of the four hard qualities that the Buddha spoke about. Equanimity. It's even-mindedness. Equanimity. It's not to be confused with apathy or, you know, just not caring, uh, numbness. No, no, that's not it. It is about being present with an even-mindedness to whatever may arise. Because many things arise that we have no control over. Like suffering. What happens finally when there's nothing you can do to alter the suffering? Then equanimity in addition to compassion. So these are the four qualities. And I'd like to read something that the Buddha said from the scriptures. And he said here, and he was talking to monks, a disciple dwells pervading one direction with his heart filled with loving kindness. Likewise, the second, the third, and the fourth direction. So above, below, and all around, he dwells pervading the entire world everywhere and equally with his heart filled with loving kindness, abundant, grown great, measureless, free from enmity, and free from distress. That's the practice of loving kindness as the Buddha expressed it. And then he said the exact same thing about each of the other three qualities. A heart free from uh, that is entirely uh, saturated with loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Now, that's a lot of words, right? To say something that we, I think, in English would probably say a whole lot shorter, more tersely, and maybe we'd think to the point. But this is the way things were expressed back then, and we get the point. The point was, hey, this is really important. You know, make these things your companions these qualities, make them your friends, live with them, take them with you into your life. And I will say what they don't mean for us is that we never should experience anger or a difficult emotion. Of course we do, you know? We do our best and it doesn't mean that you're wrong or you're failing if, if you're experiencing a difficult emotion. We attempt to bring the qualities, the heart qualities with us into our life, doing our best, that's all. They also do not mean that we have to feel warm and fuzzy. That's not it. Um, 
No, they're an open regard. You're simply present. Hmm? You're no requirement that you have all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings arising. That's really important to say because it's so easy to misunderstand. And so I'd like to also point out that uh, these qualities, traditionally, when we read about them, those who have, of us who read it kind of more directly, you know, you get the idea that they are static, that here is this quality, say, loving kindness, and it's kind of like you either are there or you're not. It's kind of like a, par, a, a car, you go park in a parking place, and you got it, you're there, and that's the end of the story. And honestly, you kind of get that impression that the greatly evolved ones also always exhibit that, you know, static. Well, I would like to point out that, you know, these qualities are actually active. They're fluid. They're verbs, not nouns. Hmm? They're verbs and not nouns. A noun is a quality. It's right there in front of you, that beginning end of story. A verb is something in process, and that's what I think that these for uh, heart qualities are the Brahma Viharas. So everything is impermanent, as the Buddha said. Every conditioned thing, that's important to notice that. All conditioned things are impermanent. The heart qualities, they come as we practice them and they go. Sometimes our hearts are open, you know, and sometimes they're not so open. That's natural, it's natural. So, you know, um, the heart qualities are also interrelated. And maybe you picked that up in this very brief definition that I just gave for each one. If you experience loving kindness, it opens you to experiencing the others. You know, they kind of come naturally. They follow on naturally. And also I point out that... Um, the reason why they, are inter they are come naturally and are interrelated, we can go into neuroscience and the neural nets in the brain. These are very close to each other. They are, once you have a neural network, a pathway in the brain that is developed and you have cultivated it to be loving, to offer loving kindness, it is, and the little impulses go to shoot down that pathway, the same thing can happen in the, with regard to the other three qualities, the other three qualities. And the Buddha, who didn't know neuroscience, of course, but here's what he said, and I think it's really interesting because it's related. And he said, what a person considers and reflects on for a long time, to that his mind will bend and incline. Like, wow, he got it. You know, he didn't know about neuroscience and how the neural networks work, but he was right on it. And I'll say in more contemporary uh, terms, we've got um, an expression, I've heard an expression, where attention goes, energy flows. Same thing. Where attention goes, energy flows. Mm. If your attention is on developing the heart qualities, that's where your energy is going to go there too. That's where the neural networks are going to farm. So... I'd like to suggest that I can't think of a more timely message for us than the heart qualities, the Brahma Viharas. 
it is so timely with people in our society, as we know all too well, um, being uh, attacking each other verbally and sometimes physically with violence being so prevalent in this society, uh, so much grief nationwide that you know, many people are commenting that we're divided into tribes and they're talking politically about the blue tribe and the red tribe. And we kind of feel each tribe is um, uh, the victim of the other. And I'll just say, if you're a member of the blue tribe, the red tribe feels the same way. And if you're a member of the RN, you feel maybe like you're a victim. And, but it goes vice versa, you know. And I think we perceive that some people in, uh, on the national scene, whether they're politicians or on the media, are kind of egging us on. It feels like it's getting more and more divisive, more explosive, more explosive. Um, I will tell you, a, a friend of mine was re recently talking to me and she said she was listening on television or on some device, and she was listening to a comment by the president and she said she stood up there and she was shouting back at him. You know, now I thought, okay, that seemed a little over the top. And then I thought again, and I thought, you know, I actually haven't stood there and shouted, but inside, haven't we all done that? Whether it's at the president, or maybe it's possible, maybe you support him, but maybe you shout, you shout at someone else who's got an opposing point of view. We shout internally, and I think that's what's going on. And I think we can see why it's imperative for us to be practicing the Brahma Viharas now. It's so easy to fall into the tenor of our times, the divisiveness of our times. You know, it's kind of like, I will say, a disease, is it not? This polarization and this divisiveness, it's contagious. It's up to us, up to you, up to me, to stop that contagion, to recognize what's going on and to say no, and to come back and to ground ourselves in heart qualities, our lives. In addition, I would like to say to this compelling need we have, or I think, yeah, to practice the Brahma Viharas, there's something else that even if we were in the sweetest of times, the most harmonious of times. There is another reason to practice the Brahma Viharas. There are another significance to them. And I will tell the story, actually I've told a couple of times already, and that is a story in the Jewish scripture called the Talmud in which a uh, rabbi asks his students, this is a teaching, typical teaching story, he says, when is it that you can discern the first light of dawn? So one two student comes up, well, he said, it's when you can um, just tell the difference between a sheep and a dog. And the rabbi says, uh-uh, that's not it. And then another student says, well, it is when you can tell an olive tree from a fig tree. The rabbi says, nope, not it. And then they said, well, when is it? A teaching story. And then the rabbi says, it is the first light of dawn is when you can see yourself in the eyes of another person. That's the first light of dawn. And of course, he wasn't just talking literally, you know? You're not just talking literally. The first light of dawn, spiritually. And I love a quote in this context 
from a whole different tradition. And that's Nisargadatta, the 20th century Indian, incredibly awakened wise man. And he said, when I look inward, I know I am nothing, and that is wisdom. And when I look outward, I know that I'm everything, and that's love. And between these two, my life flows. So the Brahma-viharas, a matter of both looking inward, but also outward, outward, and seeing our, our, ourselves in the eyes of another person, of a stranger, of a homeless person. You know, what about of a, a liar, someone who's committed murder? What about a Republican? Or a Democrat, if you're a Republican? Hmm? Can we see ourselves in the eyes of another person? Or both, Democrat and Republican, if you're neither of those parties, but you're something else, like a Green Party or whatever. You know, seeing ourselves in the eyes of another person is not so easy, is it? It isn't so easy at all. So realizing uh, that beyond our conventional differences, that's ultimately where our practice takes us, that recognition, not just as an aspiration or a um, high ideal, but actually to recognize that we are one. That's the direction we're going in. Mm. That's the direction we're going in. And when we do that, what makes more sense than to practice loving kindness and the associated heart qualities? So on two levels, what I'm suggesting, it's really significant to practice the Brahma-viharas, the heart qualities. And one is on this ultimate level, the one that Nisargadatta is talking about, where in fact the Brahma-viharas, the source of the Brahma-viharas already, is already there, ultimately. But also on our absolute, just everyday, plain old, plain vanilla everyday life, it's important. First of all, I would say for two reasons because you align yourself with the highest truth when you practice the Brahma-viharas. And secondly, because there is so much divisiveness, what I began with, that it makes all sense if we are going to be grounded in any way to practice the Brahma-viharas. And you know, I think we really need to think about this and it's going on to the violence that exists in our society as we practice, I hope, and actively engage with the Brahma-viharas, but really thinking deeply about that violence and where each of us is in relationship to it. Because as much as we, each of us abhors violence, the question is, to what extent are we influenced by it? Here's a comment by uh, Joan Halifax. She is a Zen master, Zen Roshi, and she was speaking of violence. And she said, it is being fed to us every day through all sorts of media. We hunger for it. We consume it. Then it consumes us. We know that the more we feed on violence, the more our consciousness allows us to normalize what for many is totally unacceptable. The more we feed on it, then we, our consciousness allows us to normalize the violence. We become insensitive to it. And I'll be extreme. 
I don't know if any of you remember the uh, comic strip Pogo. It was quite a while ago. The younger ones of you may not remember it, but there's this little creature called Pogo. And one of his enduring messages of truth, he was speaking to another creature, and he said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Now, I'm not suggesting that each of us is being violent or supports it. But in an indirect way, we do when we keep giving in to it. And I'm not saying that we need to go out and carry a flag against it, but within ourselves, practicing the Brahma Viharas, practicing the Brahma Viharas, they're healing. They keep us grounded. They keep us safe. They keep us sane. At a time when it can be really difficult. So here is a quote uh, written sometime in the 20th century by a, uh, a monk called Nyanaponika Thera. He was a German monk, but in the um, Theravadan tradition, same tradition that is the source of ours, by the way. Um, he said, talking about the Brahma Viharas, they provide the answer to all situations arising from social contact. They are the great removers of tension, the great peacemakers in social conflict, and the great healers of wounds suffered in the struggle of existence. And I will say he goes on in that vein for a few more lines, but I think you get the point. Hmm? The Brahma Viharas, they're healing. They ground us. So tonight, what I wanted to do is to offer a few overall guidelines because it sounds wonderful to talk about practicing the Brahma Viharas, but how do we go about really doing it? And as I said, we're going to have a lot of exercises and guidelines for specific Brahma Viharas during our 10-week um, series. But tonight, I'd like to offer some overall guidelines. And first of all, suggest, I think the Buddha gave us a hint when he talked about wise effort. And he spoke not only of the Brahma Viharas, but in wise effort, he said, be aware. He really talked about preventing unwholesome thoughts from arising, um, abandoning those that have arisen, and developing those that haven't, that wholesome thoughts that have arisen, haven't arisen, and then maintaining them. That, that's literally what he said. We can just say, hey, it's important to notice where you put your attention. And I'm going to quote another Zen teacher, Sherry Huber, upon where you place your attention. The quality of your life depends upon where you place your attention. You know, it's kind of the wise effort. And so now we're talking about placing your attention on the Brahma Viharas. Some general guidelines, don't, some of the don'ts, I think, that we should remember. And that is in our divisive atmosphere environment that we're in, don't try to change other people's minds. Don't argue with them about issues. Don't get sucked in or try not to into the agitation that can surround, that does surround us, at least nationwide and in the media. And when we do, try to pull out, be mindful, and reground, or try to, in the Brahma Viharas. And also bearing in mind the fascination that seems to be inherent in human beings for violence, 
you know, I think we ought to remember, we don't need to regularly listen, regularly listen to news that is going to simply talk all the time about violence. And certainly, I suggest, if you are on the, the blue tribe or anywhere in that vicinity, you know, what's the wisdom of continuing to focus on and listen to uh, very right-wing extremist conversations in the media or elsewhere? There isn't any. It's going to make your blood boil. And if you're, on the right, if you're in the red tribe, same thing. Why listen to left-wing or very liberal uh, uh, discussions? Like, for example, maybe if you're in the red tribe, you don't want to be listening to Stephen Colbert. Hmm? You know? <laughs> you know it, it, I mean, this is just common sense stuff for whatever, whatever side that you happen to be in, on. Um, and it gets more subtle. That to me seems kind of obvious, but you know, some of us really want to look at it and get worked up. We hear something, uh, whoever, and maybe enjoy being worked up. It's not wholesome. Not wholesome. Maybe we need some restraint here, is what I'm suggesting. But I'd also suggest that even people whose positions with whom you politically are aligned with I don't know about you, but I've noticed that there's some very over-the-top statements coming from people in the general area that I agree with the position, but the way they express it is so sensationalist that it gets you riled up, and that's what I think they're trying to do. Is that wholesome to listen to? Notice. Noticing. Maybe it isn't. I think it's not. And even on a more subtle level, sources you respect be alert, be alert to uh, underlying, um, I don't know, assumptions. And I, I, right now I have an example that I just came across a couple of weeks ago. And this was in Tricycle. Buddhist Magazine comes out quarterly. And this was online, Tricycle Online. And they were talking about an article that appears in, there, in, in that Tricycle Online. And the headline that they, and I don't know if the headline was the headline or the article, but the headline they wanted to kind of pull you in, say, come on and read. It said, uh, it's talked about sending loving kindness to the jerks and monsters of our world. <laughs> Maybe some of you read it. Loving kindness to the jerks and monsters of our world. And maybe you agree, right on, you know, a lot of people are jerks and monsters, and we know that. But if you are talking to someone who comes from the other side of the political spectrum, how successful is your conversation going to be if in your heart you're really thinking, boy, are you a jerk? You know, are you are a monster? You're trying to have a conversation? You know, jerk and monster are not going to be what's going to work at the back of your mind, right? So do's, those are some of the don'ts, seem to me common sense, obvious don'ts. But instead of arguing, how about us trying to better understand people, particularly ones we don't agree with, bringing the qualities of compassion and loving kindness there, trying to understand, maybe not agree, understanding doesn't mean the same thing as agreeing, but understanding where they came from. And I'm going to give you a little story that I experienced, an experience of mine, that was right along these lines, and it happened uh, shortly after the Trump election. 
And I wasn't feeling well. I was over at CVS getting a prescription, and they were, fulfilling, they were filling it for me. And so I went down, had to sit and wait, and I sat in what was really the only empty chair there, and it was right next to a man, and I looked at him before I sat there, and I said, uh, well, I had to tell you, I judge. Trump supporter was, it went through my mind. And uh, I thought, you know, I really don't want to, I was sick. I didn't want to get into a conversation. In fact, I didn't even feel like talking. So I sat down next to him because that was the only place to sit. And then he turned around and he started to talk to me. And, as he, and he was a white man in about his 60s, I would say. And he started to talk to me and he said, and I learned he was from West Virginia. He was white working class, just, which is kind of what I thought, Trump supporter. He didn't say he was a Trump supporter, but he did tell me that his wife had died 11 years ago. And as he began talking, he started crying and telling me about his wife and how much he missed her. And then he was telling me about his adult daughter and that she was foster caring for babies that of opioid mothers. He said, because in the state, those babies were taken away from their mothers. And he talked, there's so much suffering, he was saying. Where is it going to end? And you could just hear the agony in this man's voice. And I'll just have to say that that afternoon, <laughs> I really learned something about loving kindness and compassion. Uh, something about it, yeah. Another aspect, do's, things we want to do when we practice loving, or we want to bring our heart qualities to it, and it, that is possibly many of us are being called, or feel you're called, to social action. If you're not, fine, and if you are, you know it's something that we need to recall, remember, to bring these qualities, the heart qualities, to the social action. It is so easy to feel, uh, when, especially when we get into social action and a good cause, to feel justified, to feel righteous. And we can get out there and start carrying the flag, you know? We are invited as practitioners to remember to bring the heart qualities to this. It's not just about carrying a flag and being victorious over the opposition. It is about opening, opening and bringing the heart qualities. Many of us are in white awake groups. And I know that a group in which I facilitate one, I know very well that sometimes we forget. You know, we get so involved in the issues of white awake, by the way, for those who, you, who don't know. Uh, these are groups, and we have quite a few of them in this uh, community, in which we are investigating race awareness and particularly, it's not just the facts and the stories, although we read and learn about those, but also investigating our own unseen assumptions. Which ways do we, as white people, have we benefited from white privilege and haven't even noticed because it's just the environment in which we live? Well, it's very easy in that kind of environment, especially when we're looking at this, to get really, um, engaged and engrossed in the, in the inequalities, in the incredible unfairness, in the incredible suffering that the history has brought about of our nation for people of race, particularly black people, people of color. 
And so we need to also remember bringing heart qualities to this, staying grounded in them. Doesn't mean not caring. It means just being more awake as we do, as we care, and as we act. Um, and I think, I guess, I think the last thing I would like to discuss in terms of do's, of things to do as we practice heart qualities in general, and that is keep inspiration in mind. Continue to allow yourself to focus on what inspires you in this world, where, ener where attention goes, energy flows. And one of those things that inspired me was that story after that atrocity several years ago, it was in 06, in the Amish community in Pennsylvania, and some of you will remember, when a gunman came in and he shot uh, and killed, how many was it? He killed five girls and had shot three others. He shot eight of the ten, killed five of them. And of the three that didn't die, two are now at present time physically have recovered, and one is in semi-conscious, semi-conscious. I mean, it was a, just an atrocity. These were little schoolgirls, ages, I think it was five to 13, six to 13. It was the response of the, the Amish community that was so inspiring. And I'll just read a few of those quotes because on the highest level, they talk about, they are, the Brahmaviharas. So uh, on the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the girls who was murdered warned that to some of his young relatives, he said, we must not think evil of this man. Like, wow, his granddaughter had just been murdered. And then another father, noted, commented about the killer, and he said he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and then he added, and now he's standing before a just God. Well, you know, maybe you do or do not believe in a just God, that's not the point. It's the heart of this man that was able to say that, to advise that to the young people. And also the, just the Amish community in general comforted the family of the killer, because pretty amazing, and they gave them forgiveness. In fact, they established a fund to help the family of the killer because they were being ostracized and the killer in the general community. And they're just all kinds of really heartwarming stories of the degree to which this Amish community went to to support the family of the killer. Does that mean they didn't ever feel themselves any grief or anger? Of course not. Of course they felt grief and anger, but they were able to go beyond the grief and anger. An amazing story, and to me, an incredibly inspiring story. But I'd like to point out that the Buddha said something very similar. And he said, even if bandits were to sever you savagely limb by limb, he who gives rise, gave rise to a mind of hate towards them would not be carrying out my teaching. Wow. Okay, so maybe none of us are able to reach the height of that. 
but you sure get the teaching and the point. So I am suggesting keeping in mind, keeping in mind that indeed we're human beings. Each one of us is going to fail at times. They're not going to do what we, the ideal, and respond in the ideal way. But we can practice and we can try. So the importance of the Brahma Viharas. Thank you for listening. We have just a couple of minutes. Does anybody have a question or comment that they'd like to make? You're going to have plenty of time to ask all kinds of questions, by the way, down the line as we go on. Thank you, friends. I hope you have a beautiful week. <laughs>